Good morning, Hope Chapel. Man, I love saying that. Good morning, Hope Chapel, because never in my wildest dream did I ever think of a New Hope pastor being here at Hope Chapel to give you the word in the morning. But I love it. I love it. You know, it's, it's a, a friendship that Ralph and I have developed uh, just recently over the past few years. And uh, just knowing his heart, he has such a wonderful heart for the kingdom of God. And that's what this is all about, isn't it? It's not about building a church. It's about building the church of God, capital C, where we build bridges towards one another. Not creating denominations or little churches. It's building bridges so the kingdom of God is powerful here on earth as it is in heaven. And I so appreciate that. So thank you so much. I got to say this because I'm Chinese. Gung hi fat choi, everyone. They actually started celebrating this past weekend. And, you know, Pakis, they, they tight on their money all year long so they can celebrate on one weekend. And so they celebrated last weekend. They're going to celebrate next weekend. Uh, but it's so good to be here. We do have a soft launch going on, so I got to rush out of here after this. Uh, but next weekend is our official launch, the grand opening of New Hope Metro. And it stands for Metropolitan, because my son is like 31-ish, and he said, Metro, Dad? You know what Metro means? I said, well, what does it mean? He said, those are the guys that, you know, like they wax their eyebrows and they wear tight black shirts. And I said, well, you can see I don't have eyebrows, so that, that kills it. And if you want me to wear tight black shirts, he goes, no, 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 don't, don't do that. But, but it's called Metro for Metropolitan because I really believe God trained me up as a lawyer, then as a judge, and he pulled me out of that to, be, to make me and mold me and shape me into someone that can go back to the marketplace, to reach those in the marketplace. And uh, we have a great vision for what's going to happen downtown. Thank you so much for being a partner with us as we reach downtown for the kingdom of God. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles this morning, if you have them, to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. And if you're uh, reading by iPad or iPhone or Android or whatever, have your neighbor make noise like this, because I want to hear the pages open up, right? So at least we're reading the Bible, all right? As you're finding Genesis 22, how many of you like to take tests? Anybody? I hate taking tests, man. Especially the tests that... Uh, you don't know what the answer is going to be. I, I hate taking driver's license tests. I just have to renew mine. And I hate it because they, they have you take this eye test, yeah, the vision test. And mine is like, like monovision. So one eye is good for long distance. One eye is good for reading. And I always fail half of the test. You know, she takes me, has me take the test, and I can't see out of one eye because it's long distance. And she goes, that's all right, go to the next one. So I hate taking tests. I hate taking tests when people come up with the answer, but I don't know how they got there. There's a way of getting there, but I don't know how they reached it. It's like this, the story of this doctor who wanted to test three old men of their memories. So he asked the first guy, what is three times three? The old man kind of scratches his head. He goes, three times three, uh, 247. Says, All right, let's go to the next guy. What is three times three? The man scratches his head. He goes, uh, Tuesday. Tuesday, no. Goes to the third guy. What is three times three? The old man goes, uh, nine. That goes good. How'd you get there? 247 minus Tuesday equals nine. <laughs> you got the right answer. But how did you get there? We're going to talk about that this morning. Tests. God will test us all the time. When God gives us a command, in a sense, he's testing us. What is the answer? When God gives us a command, what does he want us to do? How many of you would say obey? 
Okay, that's only half the answer. God not only wants us to obey, He wants us to have a willing heart to enter into the process and the journey that will lead to obedience. Not just obeying. Yeah, that's good. But the process and the journey that will lead to obedience. See, in life, we don't like to enter into that process many times. We want to get there, don't we? We want to become rich. We want to become famous. We want positions. We want our marriage to be good. We want our relationships that's solid. But God may say, well, there's a process towards that. It may include extending forgiveness. It may include disciplining yourself to, to tithe or to enter into a, a budget, a financial plan. But we don't like that. We just want to get there. That's how we're wired. You hear that in little kids. Little kids will say, are we there yet? <laughs> we're not even out of the house yet. Are we there yet? We all want to get there, but we don't want to enter into the process or take the time to journey to get to where God wants us to be. So it's not just obedience. God wants a willing heart that's willing to enter into that process. Now, here's a word for us this morning, folks. Don't circumvent the process. Don't look for shortcuts in order to get there. Because you see, a lot of times it's in the process, it's in the journey that we enter into that we learn a lot of things, not only about God, we learn a lot of things about ourselves. And one of the things that we're going to learn as we enter that process is this, sacrifice. How to make a sacrifice. Story in Genesis 22 is all about Abraham and Isaac. We know, uh, kind of familiar with that story where Abraham had to sacrifice Isaac. But let me take a look at that. And sometimes I love to read the Bible um, just slowly. You know, when you're in a Bible reading plan, don't just read it. Sometimes take your time and just put time aside and just read it slowly. And you're going to see a lot of things just bursting out at you. Genesis 22. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, why do you think he said sometime later? Well, because there's a lot of things that happened before that. Real quick overview of what happened before we get to 22. Abraham was given a promise by God, right? That by your descendants, through your descendants, we're going to, just the stars in the heaven, you're going to just fill this, this whole earth with your descendants. Abraham was about 70 years old. And it's almost like Abraham said, Lord, okay, I hear you. I know that's your promise, but one problem. I don't got any kids, man. So he kind of waited on that, and God, that was God's promise. And Abraham was faithful, but at about 85 or so, Sarah was a little concerned that this promise wasn't going to be fulfilled. So she chose to circumvent the process. And she put Abraham together with her maid, Hagar, had a son named Ishmael, but he wasn't the one that God meant in his promise. Fast forward the tape. Now you got Abraham at about 99 years old and three of his angels, three of God's angels show up and says, hey, remember that promise? By this time next year, your wife is going to give birth to the one. And Abraham says, I'm 99. Took a, took a look at my wife lately? <laughs> Not quite the condition to have a son. Sarah was in the back listening to all that, and she was just laughing. Oh, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. Me have a son at my age? I can't even take care of my husband. You want me to take care of a son? 
And the angel says, no, 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 by this time next year. And sure enough, when Abraham was 100 years old, Sarah gives birth to a son. They named him Isaac because they laughed. Every time they thought about his name, uh, thought about having his baby at, at, at 100 years old, they just laughed. So they named him Isaac. And now we come to chapter 22 of Genesis. Some time later, how much time has gone by? Commentators say it's about 15 years now. Isaac is about 15 years old. And God said to Abraham, says, Abraham. And Abraham says, here I am. And God says, take your son, your only son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Take your son, your only son, who you spent 15 years with, who you've gone to the beach with, who you've played baseball with, who you helped him with his homework for the last 15 years. When he fell and he, he skinned his knee, you were there to pick him up and to, to console him, and you tucked him in bed for 15 years this boy that you've loved for all this time, God says, take him up and sacrifice him. And how'd you feel? How would you feel if you were Abraham? And God asked you to do that. This little boy that you just adored and you loved. You know, uh, my wife and I were asked to adopt this little boy from China and he was three and a half when we brought him over, and I thought, man, there's no way I'm going to take care of a boy three and a half. He came over, and he has all the energy in the world. You know, right now, he's already up. He gets up at 5 o'clock every morning, and you know he's up because you hear him running around the house. He's just running all over the place. But you know, every day when I get home, no matter what kind of stress I go through during the day, I know I can come home to my wife as well. You know, I, I love her. <laughs> But I, I, she might be watching online, you know. But, uh, but I can also come home to him, and we just have fun, and the stress just disappears. Abraham went with, like, I think he went through life like that for 15 years with this boy, Isaac. Treasured this boy. And the Lord says, you're going to sacrifice him. Read on with me. Early the next morning, if you got your pens and you're in a Bible, underline it. Mark up your Bible. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him. And on the third day, underline that, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Go over where? Where I'm going to sacrifice him. And we will worship. And then, underline this phrase, we will come back to you. I want you to see something here. God says to Abraham, your boy, your son, who you love, you adore, that you played with, that you just can't get enough of, I want you to sacrifice him. And when did Abraham load up everything? Read that again. When? Early the next morning. You notice Abraham didn't say to God, okay, I heard you, God, but uh, can we pray about this? 
yeah, Lord, I know that's you, but uh, my mini church doesn't meet till Thursday night. Can I go to them and kind of get my godly counsel from my friends? Early the next morning, there was no hesitation. There was no doubt in his mind. There were no excuses. There were no justifications or rationalizations as to why I cannot do this, God. Early the next morning, he loaded everything up. He went into action, packed up his donkeys, got his servants and Isaac, and he went out to do what? He went out to cut wood for the sacrifice. You know what that means, folks? How much wood does it take to sacrifice an animal? They would sacrifice animals all the time. How much, anybody did Kalua pig before? Kalua pig? How much wood does it take to Kalua a pig? A lot of wood, yeah? Isaac has to get enough wood to sacrifice his son. They didn't have chainsaws in those days. They had these axes. And he would sit there and begin to cut wood. I wonder how long that took him to cut wood. And I wonder how many thoughts went through his mind. Man, what am I doing? Man, why am I, oh my goodness. And he cut enough wood to loan on his donkey. But not once do we read in the Bible where Isaac said, this is nuts. I can't go through with this. He cut enough wood to sacrifice his son. Loaded it all up and traveled how many days to get there? What does the Bible say? Three, Three days. Morning, noon, and night. Hey, Isaac, are you up? Hey, come on, we got to get going. Yeah, we're going to eat some breakfast today. Let me make you breakfast first. Okay, we got to pack up. Load up the donkeys again. All right, let's go. And they would walk. Hey, Dad, are we there yet? No, not quite. Hey, let's take a break. Here's a place we can have lunch. Loaded everything up again. Come on, let's go. Where are we going? Well, we're going to go there. I know it's there somewhere. Three days. Hey, Dad, I'm kind of tired. Yeah, the sun's going down. Hey, Isaac, let's just rest here for a while. Hey, guys, can you unload the donkeys? We're going to sleep overnight. Isaac, you okay? Can I tuck you in? I tell you, folks, you put, put yourself in that situation where for three days you're doing that with your son, not knowing when that moment is going to come where this is it. And on the third day, Abraham sees where they need to go. And he tells his servants, stay here because we're going to go and we are going to come back. How do you develop that kind of obedience? Where it's not fanatical. You know, you got some of these guys that go, yeah, God said to go and uh, shoot up my school. So they're going to gun and they blast everybody. They're fanatics. How do you develop that kind of obedience, <clears throat> excuse me, where you know that it's God? Well, first verse tells us sometime later, all that time before we get to Genesis 22, Abraham developed such a wonderful, close relationship with his God that when he knew his God said something, it was something that was going to glorify the kingdom. And when God said it, Abraham got up and he did it. How do you develop that kind of obedience? I wrote in your notes there. Would you look at that first note there? In the process, because Abraham was so willing to go through the process, 
in the process. Look for God's promises and not explanations. He never asked why. Lord, why are you asking me to do this? Lord, why is it me? Lord, why not choose someone else? Why not it be Ishmael and not Isaac? Why not? He never asked why. Sometimes we look for explanations, don't we? Rather than promises of God. God knew. God knew that Abraham was going to obey, and he had to test him to put him through this process. Abraham had to discover how much he trusted in God. And we see how much Abraham knew about his God when he says to his servants, stay here, we're going to go and worship, and we will come back. What was Abraham talking about? We. He's talking about bringing Isaac back with him. Well, wait a minute. Didn't you say that he was going to sacrifice his son? Yeah. Abraham knew so much about his God, and he focused so much on the promises of God that Abraham knew that even if he was to finally sacrifice his son, and go through all the motions to, to, to kill his son and burn his son at the altar, that God was powerful enough to resurrect his son and bring him back with him. That's why he was able to say to his servants, we are going to come back. Because he knew that God's promises, and God was so faithful to his promise, that he wasn't going to allow anything to step in the way of fulfilling that promise. And so even if his son was sacrificed, that the resurrection power of God would raise his son again. Isn't that amazing, folks? In the Old Testament, you already have indications that God is a resurrecting God. God is a God of second chances. God is a God of hope. How many of you are so glad that God is a God of second chances? How about third chances? <laughs> How about fourth chances? God is a resurrecting God, folks. And Abraham knew that about his God. And so he was so willing to go through the process because he trusted his God. How do you develop that kind of a trust? Number two, I wrote there for you, be willing to let go of what you're holding on to. And that's called sacrificing. Too many times, I think, we, we live this frustrating life because we hold on to things we should let go of and we let go of things that we should be holding on to. We let go of the promises of God and we hold on to this bitterness that we have towards one another. We want a happy marriage, but we let go of the promises that God will provide that for us if we enter the process, but we hold on to anger, unforgiveness, and pride. See, sometimes there are things that we need to let go of. Sometimes there are things that we need to hold on to. But we hold on to the things we think are going to get us there sooner when we should have let it go. We grab onto the wrong things. It's like the story I heard about these. Uh, there are four passengers on an airplane, but there are only three parachutes, and this plane is going down real fast. So this first person grabs one of the packs and says, I'm Hillary Clinton, the most powerful woman in the world. The world can't lose me now. I can't die in this plane. And she jumps out of the plane with that par parachute. The second person grabs a pack and says, I am Barack Obama, the smartest man in the world. The world needs me, and I can't go down with this plane. And so he jumps out of the plane with that pack. What well, had left the, the third and the fourth pastures, Tim Tebow and a fourth grader. And Tim Tebow turns to the fourth grader and says, well, here's the last one for you. 
I know the Denver Bronco needs me. Well, not anymore after last night's game. Uh, and Denver Broncos needs me, and I know God will provide, and he does his Tebow thing, you know. And the little girl looks at him and says, Mr. Tebow, that's okay. There's one more parachute left for us. See, that smartest man in the world, he grabbed my school backpack, and he jumped out of the plane. <laughs> you know, sometimes we grab onto things we think is going to save us, but it's really the wrong thing. We need to learn and discern what it means to let go of the things. That's not going to help us at all. You know, we hold on to this demand for instantaneous riches and power, and we let go of the process that's going to develop our faith and our trust in God. And we wonder why so many people can't sustain their walk as a Christian. There's an article written by a man about this sustaining walk. He calls it a long obedience in the same direction. And this was written over 25 years ago, by the way. He said, one aspect of the world that I have been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if, any, if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. Our attention spans have been conditioned by 30-second commercials. Our sense of reality has been short-circuited by whatever is quick and easy. It's not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is ter ter terrifically, his word, it is terrifically difficult to sustain that interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything new about God can be sold if it's packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes out into the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Isn't that true? So many of us want, want it now. We want to get there. We want to be good Christians. We want good Christian families. But we don't want to take that long journey of discipleship. And we hold on to the personal things that actually destroy us rather than letting those things go and holding on to the promises of God through the journey. We don't like to wait, do we? We want it now. We all want it now. But Isaiah 40 says, those who what? Wait upon the Lord. Those who hope in the Lord. Those who are willing to sustain themselves in their walk with the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings of eagles. They will run. They'll run hard. But they will not grow weary. They will walk. They will go to distance, and they will not faint. It's sustaining yourself. It's a long haul. It's not a sprint to the finish line. It's entering that journey, and when you enter that journey, and when you're willing to wait upon the Lord, folks, you will see how God will change you, or God will reveal things in you. Look for, the, for God to change you in the process while you wait. Because it was in this process of being willing to sacrifice his Isaac 
that Abraham learned so much about himself. God knew everything about him. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows us better than we know ourselves. It's us. We got to learn more about ourselves. How much do we trust our God? How much do we have faith in our, our Heavenly Father and in His promises? Abraham needed to know who he was. And by his willingness to stay engaged in that process, even when he was required to give that sacrifice, Abraham began to develop a deeper faith, a deeper sense of trust in his God. He began to become aware of that in him. See, he blew it one time, right, with Ishmael. He, he short-circuited that process, but God gave him another chance. And Abraham knew he had to go all the way through to the end to find out how much did he believe in this God of a second chance. Even to the point of raising up that knife, ready to come down to sacrifice his son. It's a wonderful painting. I wish you would look it up on Google one day. It was painted by Rembrandt. And it, it actually picks up that scene with Abraham holding his son Isaac's chin back, exposing the clear flesh of his neck. And Isaac is, is on the altar, and one leg is up. And Abraham, with his right hand, is coming down with the knife. But the angel of God grabs his hand. And the painting, I think, was, I believe was painted in such a way to depict that the strength of the angel's hand was so strong on Abraham's grip that Abraham had to loosen that grip and the knife is halfway falling to the ground. And the angel is looking at Isaac. It's a beautiful scene to show how much God loves you, that if you're willing to enter that process, if you're willing to obey him even to the end, God will say, okay, I don't need any more because I have something better for you. He wants to know whether you have that heart that's willing to enter the process of obedience even to the end. When he sees that kind of heart, he says, all right, I've seen enough. I have something even better for you. We all have Isaacs in our lives. Something that God is asking us to give up because we've been holding on to it for too long. Something that may have caused us to give it more attention, more honor than we honor God. What is that Isaac for you? We all have Isaacs. Something that people will say, are you crazy? Why are you going to give that up? You know, you work so hard for that. You know, God may have answered your prayers. That's why you have it. But if it's drawing too much attention from you rather than to God, God may be saying, that's an Isaac. I want you to give it up. You got to be willing to sacrifice that. Go through the process that will lead to obedience, to sacrifice that. When God can see that kind of heart, he says, I got something better for you. I have Isaacs. I've had Isaacs in my life. I worked as a, a lawyer. I went through law school, passed the bar exam. I told myself, if I don't pass this bar exam, I will never take it again. Bar exam is four days long, all day long. Passed the bar exam, first crack. Started practicing. Did pretty well. And then I got appointed to the bench as a judge. And I thought, okay, I wasn't saved yet. Came to New Hope, and I got saved there at New Hope. And I thought, this is pretty cool, man. I'm doing ministry. I'm on the bench. Criminal defendants would come into my courtroom. And this town is really small. Word got around that this judge just became a Christian. And so these criminal defendants would stand in front of me, and they'd say, okay, judge, so I heard you're a Christian. I said, yeah, I am. And they go, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. That means you believe in, you believe in forgiveness of sins. I said, yeah, I do. 
You believe in a God of second chances? I said, I do. I said, you're a Christian? He goes, yeah, I'm a Christian. You believe in consequences for your actions. He goes, and so on the bench, I'd be praying you know, in my heart, so Lord, what do you want for this guy? And there are times that I would have to put him in prison, which I would. I knew that there are good Christian uh, prison ministries going on, so I had no problem in, in sentencing someone to prison. But there are other times where the Lord would just say to my heart, put him on probation. Enter a final judgment and talk to this guy in your chambers. So I would. Put him on probation. I'd say to the lawyers, all right, we're not going to talk about the case, but we're going to take a recess, and I want to see this defendant in my chambers. You don't have to come in. Inevitably, the lawyers would follow. <laughs> They'd end up uh, sitting in the back of my chambers, and I'd be talking to these defendants right across my desk. There are times that I would sit right next to them, and I would hold their hands, and I would say to them, you're on probation, you're getting out of here. Now go find a good Bible-teaching church. With faith and hope, all things are possible. And then these guys would write back to me. Hey, that day in your chambers changed my life completely. Here's my real estate license, my rehab certificate. I'm on a new world because of what you said to me, that with faith and hope, all things are possible. And I thought, this is cool. In fact, some of the lawyers started coming to church. You know? <laughs> in fact, one lawyer today is a family court judge. You know, she started coming into the chambers, listening in, and she's a, she's a Christian today. But I thought, this is cool. I get to do ministry from the bench. I get, I get a good pay. I get uh, a sweetheart retirement. I have reserved parking every day. When I walk into the courtroom, everybody stands up. That's a neat feeling, you know. <laughs> but I thought that was really cool. But God was saying, that's an Isaac. Why don't you give it up? <laughs> I wasn't like Abraham. It wasn't early the next morning that I made a decision. It took me over two years to process this thing and prayed and prayed. And finally, I knew that God was saying, give it up. I loved what I was doing. But the Lord says, no, there's something else for you. Stepped off the bench, got into ministry, began to understand. If I understood now what I didn't know then, I wouldn't have gotten into ministry, Ralph. But, uh, but God began to shape me and and I thought, wow, this is nice. This is a nice. This is very nice. Helping people. And my wife and I, she was still working. And she was making pretty good money. So we could make it. And we had vacation time, freedom, nothing. You know, nobody holding us back. No kids in the home. Until one day the Lord said, you need to adopt this child. We went to China. My wife looked at this boy in this foster facility. He looked up at her. It was like music in the background. <laughs> Love at first sight. She didn't want to put him down. And she cried when we had to leave there. She wanted to adopt him. I'm thinking, adopt? Our combined age is over 100. And I won't tell you who put us over 100, but, but the Lord was just stirring our heart. And uh, you can't choose your own child from China. We entered the process. We paid money to this adoption agency in Kentucky. They're asking us for like $3,000 to start the process. I, I remember telling the lady, you know, I don't even give money to people I know. I don't give money to you. I don't even know you. Chinese don't operate like that. You know, we got to... But we trusted in the Lord. And nine months from the day we applied, just like a pregnancy, from nine months from the day we applied, they called us and said, you know that boy that you wanted? Out of 1.3 billion people <clears throat> in China, that boy that you wanted is yours. So we adopted him. Now... I lost the freedom. <laughs> we can't go anywhere. <laughs> but within about six months, my wife Joy said, I think I need to stay home from work. 
stay home from work. She goes, yeah, I need to quit. I said, you got 18 months before you retire. She goes, yeah, but this boy really needs us. He needs a stay-at-home mom. I said, well, then let's run the numbers. She said, well, you didn't run the numbers when you left the bench. I said, no. okay. <laughs> so she quit work. She had 18 months. She worked there 32 years before she would fully retire. But the Lord said, give it up. So we gave it up. Hmm. And then I start getting even more active with Pastor Wayne at New Hope, and then he leaves to go to Oregon to develop this college and gives, lays the whole thing on me, and I start working with the staff and everything, and this is really good. Now I can retire. I'm going to retire. And the Lord says, no, Pastor Wayne's coming back. I want you to plant a church. I said, plant a church? I am 50 years old. You don't plant a church at that age. He said, I want you to plant a church because I pulled you out of the marketplace not to stay there. I want you to go back. And I said, Lord, I don't like the lawyers and judges down there. I've been there. The Lord says, I need you to reach them in the marketplace. I had to give that up. And God has been so faithful. God has been so faithful that uh, I had no idea who was going to show up. It's not about numbers at all. But, you know, the first day you were, I'm home, and I don't have an office now, so I'm just at home. And Joyce says, you okay? I said, yeah. I said, why? Because, because usually you're so busy. I said, well, yeah, I'm okay. I said, what do you think the church is going to look like? She said, well, maybe 20 people. I said, okay, that's good. So I'm normally talking before five services, you know, the, the numbers at New Hope and all that. I said, 20 people, all right, yeah, but I'm okay. God said to give it up. So we're walking. No idea where we're going to land. We didn't have a space, anything. I learned how to walk by faith and not by sight. That I was going to step off this stage not knowing what's under me, but I knew that I knew that God was going to hold us up. Our grand opening is next week. We had a lot of little pre-launch thing last week. We had 180 people show up for that first service. And I thought, Lord, you're so faithful. What's God asking you this morning? What do you have that you may be holding on to? That you may have been dreaming all about. But the Lord is saying, would you offer that up to me? I know. That I know that I know that when you're willing to raise your hand to offer that sacrifice, God will say, that's all I need to know. Second Chronicles 69, the eyes of the Lord searches to and fro throughout the earth looking to support those whose hearts are completely given to him. See, if your heart is so full and for the Lord, you don't have to look for God. He's looking for you. Thank you, Hope Chapel. You're such a great church. I pray God's blessings on you and the kingdom.